There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey, everyone. It's Amy Castles. Hello, hello. We have a very special guest, Ben Blankenship. Say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so happy. So excited. So so happy. We're so excited and happy and honored to have you on our show. And Ben is going to talk about addiction and recovery. So I'm just going to give you the floor because you got an amazing story, and I know it, and everybody's gonna love to hear it well thank you uh first thank you guys for inviting me out this is a a great opportunity to have this platform to to share my story and to um just let people know that recovery uh not only is it possible but it's it's very in reach and it's the steps that it takes to get there are not as as technical as most would think uh so Introducing myself, I'm Ben Blankenship. I was born here in, in Tomball, Texas. I have lived 30 minutes from here uh, the majority of my life. Um, and I was born into a family that uh, most people from the outside would look at as, that's a normal family. Uh, most families look that way from the outside. Uh, the majority of and everyone uh, on planet Earth has an addiction of some way, some form, some fashion, they have an addiction. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's fishing, uh, alcohol, um, you know, playing baseball with your kids, whatever it is, you have an addiction. 
<clears throat> and I was born into one that that has addictions that um, were not so healthy. They were drugs and alcohol, and so being born into that uh, at ten years old, I started smoking marijuana for the first time. Uh, it became my normal. It was a way of life because that's what my brothers did. That's what all their friends did. That's what everyone around me did. It it was the normal of, you know, Hey, we're in junior high. We're going to do some cool things, you know, and getting into those things. So, so young, you don't realize where you're taking yourself so fast. And so I went from smoking marijuana to the age of 14. By the time I was 14, I had, Pretty much tried every drug you could possibly think of. Um, there wasn't one that was off limits. At Drugs 14. At 14 years old. And you're the youngest of four boys, right? Yes, I'm the youngest okay. of four boys. Uh, and so, and like, hey, try this. Yeah, exactly. Well, my simple logic of thinking was I would see my brothers doing something or one of their friends doing something, and I would think to myself, well, they did it. They're still alive. Mm. I can do it. I can mm. live. Little did I know the impact that it was going to have uh, later on into my life. And so <clears throat> whenever I, like I said, by the time I was 14, I had tried cocaine. I had tried methamphetamines. I had tried acid. I had done ecstasy. Their pills, alcohol were a normal, everyday thing. Uh, to have a bag of weed in my pocket was more normal than lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it was just a way of life. And to me, it was normal. This is what everybody does, you know, so it's okay. And that was my, that was my logical thinking. And, and I got away with it for quite some time. I mean, I'm still alive today. So, but <clears throat> by the time I turned 18 years old and I was old enough to be arrested, mm. got arrested. Uh, today, I think I had a friend ask me not too long ago, how many times have you been arrested? And I started looking it up, and I think it's around 47, 48 times. Are you serious? No Absolutely. way. Yeah. yeah. So the majority of those were neglecting tickets and stuff that, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to buy weed. I'm not going to pay the ticket. You know? So I just neglected that. But eventually you get caught you, yeah. and, and you end up in a system. Uh, going to jail was normal for me, Montgomery County Jail. I'm friends with all those guys now <laughs> that I'm sober and I live on this side of the law and I do what I'm supposed to do every day. But those guys know me because they spent the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. Every year I would go to Montgomery County Jail. They yeah. knew me. Hey, Ben, what's up? <laughs> You're back. <laughs> you had a membership card. I did. And they definitely left light on for me all the time. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so... You know, I I don't like to elaborate on the on the drug part of of my life, but yes, I was an addict. Uh, every drug was available; they're always going to be available mm -hmm. because that's just the way it works. And so, the last time that I was arrested was um, June second, two thousand eighteen. That was my arrest date, my sobriety date, and my uh, my rescue date. Wow. I, I got rescued that day. I didn't get arrested. And so <clears throat> I, uh, I got into jail uh, that time, and, and as many times as I had been to jail before, I would you know, tell myself, hey, I'm going to stay sober this time. I'm going to do everything that I can. And I'd get out, and I'd screw up every time. And so 
my, I blame uh, my success on the same thing that Brad Pitt blames his success on, and it's reading. And I became a reader while I was incarcerated, and as a kid, I, I, you couldn't pay me to read. And so I, there's nothing else to do in there, so you want to keep yourself busy. And I remember finding a magazine somewhere, and there was an article in there about Brad Pitt, and I started reading it, and I was like, and they asked him, what do you blame your success on? And he said, reading. And I was like, hmm. Brad Pitt, pretty boy, reading? Like, how is that, you know? So he said in there, he said, if I would have never started reading, he said, I would have never read a movie, a movie script. Wow. He said, I wouldn't be who I am today. He said, I worked at a coffee shop, and somebody handed me a book and told me it was a great book, and I started reading. And he said, and I developed a love for reading. <clears throat> and as he did that, Obviously, Brad Pitt wouldn't be who he was today. Mm-hmm. Um, With some I, good genetics, too. I'm yeah. Just yeah. Not, not too bad. <laughs> Real good I'm genetics. glad you see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, all of these steps that, that I'm, I'm going to try to share in this short period of time were God's hand in my life. He was opening my eyes. Uh, he showed me the way to success by a man that I never met, Brad Pitt, you know. And so when I read that, I was thinking to myself, well, that's pretty interesting, you know, for him to be successful as he is today, just from reading a book. Maybe I should start reading. And so the first book that I read, I, I was a small little book by James B. Gills, and it was called Love, and it was no thicker than this right here. And I just wanted to read it from front to back to say mm-hmm. that I've read a book mm-hmm. from front to back. I was 28 years old when I did that in jail. And <clears throat> after that, uh, I would, you know, when I would get incarcerated, I'd start reading. Uh, and so I read one, uh, an incident that happened while I was uh, incarcerated. I'm, I went to the book cart and I'm looking for a book and I couldn't find nothing I like. And, and the, um, the, um, pastor that was in there as I'm walking off, he slaps this book in my chest and says, you should read that. I was like, Okay, thinking to myself, bro, you're not supposed to hit me, but okay, <laughs> you know. And so I take the book and I go sit down at the table, and, and a buddy of mine was sitting at the table, and uh, he said, "Man, what's that book about?" And I was like, "I don't know. You should read it." And I handed it to him, and he came over to me uh, a couple of days later. Mind you, this guy was a, a sniper uh, in the army, or in, I'm sorry, in the Marines, and, and he'd been through some things that he wasn't. He'd done some things that he wasn't happy about, and. He comes back two or three days and looks at me and goes, how do you know me? And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, the book. I was like, is it good? And he's like, yeah. I was like, good, keep reading it. He comes back two or three days later and he's like, do you call my mama? I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? He said, that book is telling me exactly who I am. I was like, cool, keep reading it. He comes back a couple days like, man, this book is so awesome. I was like, Really? He looked at me and goes, you've never read it, have you? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, I pawned it off on you. <laughs> yeah, I pawned it off on you to see what it was about. And so I get the book back, and it's a book called The Mentor, The Kid, and The CEO. The, uh, the what? The Mentor, The Kid, and The CEO. Okay. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Was this still the, your sobriety time? Like, or this, or this, obviously, your sobriety. Actually, your this particular time was... You, Three arrests before my last. Okay. <laughs> okay. So right. this was all right. So and yeah. when you were in jail that time, how long would you be in there for? That particular uh, stint was eight months in Montgomery County Jail. 
Oh, that was at eight months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I got out and went right back. Okay. Yeah. So you hadn't, so that time with all the reading in the books stuff, you got out of jail, but you still committed some crimes and mm-hmm. you were not sober just yet. No. Okay. Cause no. you went back in three more. Absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. All right. Keep, continue. So let the man finish. I, uh, no, she's good. <laughs> I, I love the question. So I, um, so he, uh, he gives me the book back and I open up the book and the first words are here I am again. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself here and the kids <laughs> in jail uh-huh. again. Well, uh-huh. This is my story. <laughs> I've been in jail. I can't tell you how many times. Um, the book is a really, really simple read of how this gentleman goes into these jails houses and he, he gives somebody a book and he tells them to read it and he doesn't tell them who's reading it. I mean, he doesn't tell them what's in it and he just says, read it and I'm gonna come back next week and I'm gonna visit you with you. Well, this guy's a CEO. He's also a mentor and the kid that he hands it to, uh, is the one that is where the book is written from. The guy that hands him the book is the actual author of the book. And so the story unravels that the kid follows the guy's directions and he gets out. And the first thing he does is, is he runs down to this place where this guy jogs around this lake. And it's like a, a seven mile jog that the kid, the guy says, Hey, if you're really interested and you really want to better your life, when you get out, this is where I'll be jogging. So the guy walks all the way from jail to the place. But mind you, he hasn't eaten. He's wearing shoes that he shouldn't be jogging in. He gets there that morning, and he doesn't know that he's fixing to jog seven miles. <laughs> he keeps up with the guy, and the guy's like, they get to this car, and it gives him a, a bottle of water and a banana. And he's like, so did you, did you get any rest last night? He's like, I walked straight here from jail. The guy's like, wow, you actually want it. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like everything that you said in the book, make the list of what you want in life. Do the things like you, you're always going to start with a desire. You're going to have a desire to stop doing drugs. You're going to have a desire to start a company. You're going to have a desire to start a podcast, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It starts with a desire, and then you have to come up with a plan. The first thing to do is to write it down. So the guy had done all this. He gets there. He runs the seven miles. He's about to die. And the guy's like, you really want this, don't you? So I won't tell you the rest of the story, but the kid becomes successful. And as I read that, I was like, wow, this is me. This is something that I've done a thousand times over. I've been to jail literally probably 47, 48 times. And I was never successful of exiting. Never. I would always return to my addiction because it was easy. Mm-hmm. The life is out there. And so while I was in jail, kids would come to the door and I would see this kid needs this book. <laughs> and I'd walk up and hand him the book and I'd say, hey, man, read that. But do me a favor. When you read the first sentence, don't come punch me in my face. Just keep reading. <laughs> of course, here, here I am again is the first sentence. Uh, so that was the first book that was um, beyond influential in my life. Um, from then, I would, I would read almost anything I could get my hands on. Uh, I had a stack of books. Uh, so my last arrest, I started collecting books. I uh, started reading as much as I can, planning for my exit. Of course, I, I, so I had been incarcerated for about a year and a half 
uh, at this time. I was in prison out in Jasper, Texas. And I had been writing my sister and asking her to please write me a letter, to please send me some pictures. Uh, she's a photographer. She's a very good writer. <laughs> and I wanted to know what was going on with my family, with my nephews, with my nieces. They had gotten married. They had gone on missions. Uh, they had graduated high school. All this stuff that I missed because of my addiction. Uh, always stayed away from my family as most people do when they're in, the, in their addiction they recluse they yeah. they isolate themselves and you get to a point to where you, you know that that you just stay away from the people that aren't doing those things because it's it's not cool you know what i mean it's not you're not going to be comfortable around somebody that's sober whenever you're high mm-hmm. yeah and so i've been in jail and i've been writing her and asking her Hey, please write me. I just want to hear from you guys. Just want to know everybody's okay. You know, please send me some pictures. And these are all these things that I'm fishing. Like I saw God's hand in this and I didn't see it right when I received the first letter from her because the first letter that I got from her, it pissed me off. (laughs) So she writes me a letter and she tells me, Hey, I read this book and I learned a whole lot from it and I'm going to send it to you. And I really feel like you could get something out of it. And it's called codependent no more. And I was like, what does codependent mean? Does that mean that I can't depend on my family? What does the word mean? Mm -hmm. And I was so pissed off at her that I didn't get what I wanted. And I realized years later that that was still the addict in me not getting what I wanted. Mind you, I had been in prison. I'd been incarcerated for a year and a half. I've been telling myself. Hey, when you get out, stay sober, like make it happen this time. And I told myself that I wanted to be sober, but I hadn't really made up my mind. And so I wrote my sister about a four page letter telling her off <laughs> of, hey, you didn't send me not one picture. Hey, you didn't tell me nothing about my family. Uh, can you please? And I was pretty rude. And my dad always taught me, you know, don't be rude to the to the females in your family, to any female for that matter. And so I never sent the letter, but I kept it. And I got that mm-hmm. off my chest. About a month and a half later, the book shows up. <clears throat> and as I get it, I'm like, okay, my brother, my sister doesn't, she doesn't do anything without a good cause. Like she always has a meaning and a reasoning in this. And she never just tells you because she wants you to get it for yourself. And I knew that there was something in this book that she wanted me to get. And so when I got the book, I wrote her letter and I said, hey, I got the book. Thank you for sending it to me. And I'm going to read it and I'm going to get everything that I can out of it. <clears throat> and I sent that letter. So I read the book for the first time and the book pissed me off. Completely pissed me off even more <laughs> because I was still an addict. I didn't know that I was still an addict because I've been sober for a year and a half. I'm recovered. Thought, you know, but I'm in prison. I don't have the, I mean, you have the option to to do what you want in there, but you don't, you don't necessarily want to do that. And uh, so I read the book the first time and I didn't get much out of it. And a buddy of mine saw me reading it the first time and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm pissed. Like this book is pissing me off. The reason that it pissed me off is because the shoe fit. Everything that it was saying in there, it fit. It was directed at me. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the book from my standpoint of view. And the entire time, 
Mind you, when I first start reading the book, the lady that's writing it says, yeah, I looked up the word codependent. There's no definition for it. And I go right back to whenever I received a letter from my sister of what the hell does codependent mean? And if she doesn't know what the definition is, how's she going to write the book? So I didn't get much out of it. I gave it to my friend. He's reading it for about three or four days. And I sat in my bunk for those, those three or four days at night, and I was so pissed off that I didn't get whatever it was my sister sent. I did not get the message. And being pissed off is what opened up my eyes. It's what was like, okay, read the book again, slow down, take your time, and figure out what the message is. And so the second time I got it back, uh, I realized that as I read, if I, if I pray before I read, it helps a whole lot. It opens up your mind. And I read the book from my sister's standpoint of view. My sister never had an addiction. So what did she learn from this book? Uh, my dad never had addictions. Uh, the rest of my family, all three of my brothers and myself and my mom, we all had addictions. And it was normal to me. Like, this is just a way of life. This is what we do. This is how we get through life. This is how we cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I slowed down and I started reading the book. <clears throat> and I read it from my sister's shoes. Of what did she have to deal with? What did she go through as somebody that's never had an addiction? Uh, what, did she, what are the decisions that she had to make? through life because of us. So one of the uh, relationships that bugged me the most throughout my life was my mom's and my sister's relationship. My sister uh, started having kids, uh, was the first one, only one to have kids in the family. And my mom had a prescription pill problem. And whenever mom was sober, mom was the greatest mom. I'm sure you remember her. Uh, She was the greatest mom on the planet. Whenever she would take her pills, she is now an addict. And mm-hmm. so there was that was a cycle that we dealt with. Well, to me, that was normal. That's mom. That's just who she is. Mm-hmm. I have my addictions. Nobody's mad at me. So, like, why y'all going to be mad at mom? Like, leave her alone, you know? <clears throat> my sister started having these kids, and she had to protect them. And so when mom was inebriated, she would say, Mom, look, I love you, but you can't come around my kids. And that always pissed me off because that's mom. Like, how are you going to tell your mom, hey, you mm-hmm. can't come around on Christmas or Thanksgiving? And, and, and it seemed like those were always the times that mom would take her pills because she was nervous. She had things that she was dealing with. She had things that she was trying to cope with from a child. Trauma. Mm-hmm. Serious trauma. Uh, her dad was very abusive. <clears throat> and so I was always mad at my sister. And I would think to myself, man, that's really messed up. But you tell mom she can't come to Christmas, you know. So as I'm reading this book, it starts talking about this, these things that I had I'd never even grasped the concept of or even thought of, and they were, they were called boundaries. <laughs> 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 and to me, as an addict, anything goes. Like, it's okay, whatever. You know what I mean? This is just how life is. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking about these boundaries, and I was like, okay, boundaries. So you set boundaries with Things, places, okay? So things and places. I'm not allowed to do drugs anymore if I want to be sober. 
those are things that I got to get rid of. I probably shouldn't go over to the dope house. Probably shouldn't go <laughs> buy any more dope. It's kind of a step and one boundary. And then I realized that, okay, well, all my friends, they all my friends, like at this age and this point in my life, everybody I know does drugs. And I love these people. Like these are some of these people I still love to this very day. Uh, I will always love them, but it doesn't mean I have to go around them. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I have to be in their presence to love them. I can love them from a very far distance. And so as I'm I'm reading this and I'm grasping it and I'm starting to understand these boundaries that I have to set for myself if I want to be successful. If I never and, and here was my number one driving source. I'm sitting in prison and I don't want to come back. This place sucks. And so as I'm reading, and then, and then it starts talking more uh, about detachment. How do you detach yourself from these things, these places? And the hardest one is people. People that you love, it's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to say, that's not okay. Whatever mm-hmm. it is you're doing that's not aligned with the direct path of my success, it's okay to tell people you love, hey, man, look, I love you, but please go do that over there. Please stay out of my way because they're going to drag you down. They're going to pull you to the side. They're going to distract you. And so as I'm reading this and I'm getting through the book, I'll never forget the the life changing moment that I had. And so I'm sitting there reading it and I started thinking about my mom and my sister's relationship that always bugged me so bad. And I realized that my mom was one of those people that you have to detach from. Granted, my mom had passed away at this this given point in my life. And and so I didn't have to make that tough decision, but my sister did. She had children that she was trying to raise to where they weren't exposed to those things, to where they didn't have the same logical thinking as Ben of, oh, all my uncles and my grandma, and they get high. It'd be okay for me. She had to protect that. And if you've ever met one of my sister's kids, she raised some pretty good human beings mm-hmm. and they're they're successful in life. And they don't they know that that's not okay. And right then and there, I thought to myself, wow, what a tough decision that was for my sister to choose her new family, her husband, her kids, now her grandkids, over her old family, her mom, her own mom. And her brothers. And then I realized, wait a minute. I was one of those people, too, that she had to protect them to from. And when I realized that, and I asked myself, Ben, if you had children, would you have been able to protect them from your mom? And I gained such a respect for my sister in that moment that I was like, wait a minute. My entire life was not normal. This addiction that I accepted at the age of 10 because everybody else around me did it, it's okay to actually say this is not okay. And I realized right then and there, that's when I was said, okay, I'm going to get sober. Because if I ever do have a kid, there's no possible way I would ever allow any one of my friends that were from my past life to ever be around my child. And if that's what I want, then this is what I have to do. This is a boundary that I have to set for myself. 
my sister, uh, being one of the greatest examples in my life, uh, she has her struggles. She gets through life just like everybody else. Uh, she has a, a handicapped son that, uh, that has a traumatic brain injury that uh, those times were tough for her. And she never turned to drugs. She turned to God, to her husband, to the church. And she found outlets to where she could express herself, where she could strengthen herself. And so today I've been uh, 120% sober for almost five years now. And I, uh, so I have kind of built this platform of, of people know me for sobriety. They, uh, when they think of Ben Blankenship, they think uh, barbecue, sobriety, or bar auto services. Mm. Uh, bar shadow services? Bar auto services. Uh, yes, it's a company that a very dear friend of mine, uh, Buster Bars, he, he, he owns it. And he actually recruited me to- Buster Bowers? Buster Barsh. Barsh, okay. Yes. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. Are you saying bar shadowing services? No, Barsh. Auto. Oh, yeah. I'm like, are you shadowing somebody at a bar? Do you, no, is that the no, right temptation? Not. No, absolutely not. Barsh Auto Services. Okay. Um, so it's like that would be great. Uh, when they think of me, they think of those three things. Mm-hmm. And so I get phone calls all the time. You know, hey, look, I see that you're sober. I see that you're doing it. Can you help me? And I've I've learned the ins and outs of addiction. Uh, you'll hear me say that I'm a recovered addict. Uh, now, that first year and a half that I was in prison, I was recovering then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today, the answer for me is no. I'm, I'm not allowed to use substances. I'm not allowed to use alcohol. I'm not allowed to use cigarettes. I'm not allowed to use anything or put anything in my body that is going to distract me in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, and so I have these outlets that I use. And, and, and when, when I read this book, it, it helped me understand that to set these boundaries, and what I tell people is you over here you have your, your not okay basket, and you take all the things that are not okay for you, uh, drugs, uh, being a drug dealer, uh, those people that you did drugs with, you, you take all those things and you put them over here in this basket. And this is your not okay basket. You're never allowed to go over there and get anything out of them. Uh, your friends are over there. Your mom's over there. All these things and these people. And people are the hardest one to put in that basket because you love people. Yeah. But it's okay to put them in there. And you can wave at those people and say, hey, I love you from a very far distance. But you can never go over there and get anything out of that basket or you're going to fall. And then you have, this is my okay basket over here. These are the boundaries that are okay for me. These are my tools. These are the things that I'm going to go to every day and I'm going to use these things. And so for me personally, over here, I have reading, of course, that I try Mm -hmm. to do as much as I can. Uh, I have church. I have my family. I have a very select uh, set of friends that are in this basket. And then I have the gym, which is one of my biggest therapeutic uh, sanctuaries for me. You said on Facebook the other day, you go, it's been brought to my attention that someone criticizes my time in the gym that I'm in there an hour and a half. And you said, it's actually more like two to three. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, lo- I love the way you said that. That was yes. awesome. Uh, 
And so that's uh that's where I go and, and I strengthen myself in every way, shape, form, or fashion. And this okay basket is your tool bag. And just like if you're a carpenter, you're gonna go, you're gonna go with your tools every day because that's how you mm-hmm. make your money. That's how you strengthen yourself. Um and so I have learned a whole lot about addiction and addiction recovery, and more so how to maintenance it. Because every day is a struggle for everybody in life. It doesn't matter. Life is a struggle. This place is tough. And you have to find your outlets. And so I I had a very dear friend of mine call me up um, maybe last year while I was working at at the auto service uh, place. And he says, hey, man, I have a friend that has a sex addiction. And I was like, okay, never dealt with this one before. Um, Let me give it some thought. Let me give you a call back. I called him on my way to lunch, and I'm, I'm leaving for lunch, and I'm going to the gym. I said, hey, meet me over at the gym. And I said, I, I want to talk to you. And he's like, okay. By the way, the friend's me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and on my way there, I'm thinking Subtle. to myself, yeah. And I was thinking, like, wow, that took a lot of courage for him to say that. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, addiction is addiction. Addiction is addiction. It doesn't matter, like I said, if it's fishing. If you fish entirely too much and your wife's fixing to leave you, you got to weigh that out. <laughs> Which one do you want? Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll be able to eat forever, but you'd probably be eating alone, you know? What <laughs> good is that? Uh, so on my way there, I, I realized that addiction is addiction. And so the number one thing that you have to do, obviously, is you have to delete whatever it is. And being his was, you know, uh, sex addiction. You know, there's an app that you can download on your phone to where you'll never see anything naked on your phone ever again. You know, and it's pretty simple to do. It's a simple step. And so on my way there, I realized that all I, all I have to do is just tell him the simple steps that I took. And so I said, look, man, obviously sex addiction is your thing. You know, you're going to have to delete everything that you have on your phone or your computer or anything. Like you have to remove yourself just like I'm not allowed to go to the doghouse. That's not okay for me anymore. So that's the first step. You want to get rid of whatever the addiction is. Then you have to find outlets. And so I actually, when I was about 21 years old, uh, I had been using methamphetamines for about two years at the time. And I woke up one day and I asked myself, Ben, what is real in your life? And I know this was God talking to me. And because it was so distinct and 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 I'll never forget it. uh, I asked myself, Ben, what's real in your life right now? And I had like $3,000 in my pocket, but that money's not real. It's drug money. Uh, I didn't have a real job. I had plenty of dope to sell, but that's not a real job. I had plenty of people that surrounded me, but these people are not my real friends. And before I got to that fourth finger, I was like, you know, that's enough not reals in my life. You know, I think I'm going to walk away from this. And so I went and woke my buddy up and said, hey, man, I'm leaving. I said, I'm going home. Don't call me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, you heard me. I'm going home. Don't call me. I'll quit. He's like, you serious? I said, yeah, absolutely. So I'm walking out the door and I put my backpack on. And I'm walking down the road and it was like my mom was talking to me. And, and my mom was still alive at this time. And, and one of the things that I was always so grateful for is that my parents did have a home where I could go home and go sleep. And uh, I remember my mom telling me uh, that every addict is always going to trade one addiction for another. So find a healthy habit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, 
I love chocolate milk. <laughs> so random. I tell myself, very random, very simple, very cheap. Um, so I tell myself, Ben, go home, get yourself some sleep, eat. When you wake up and you have some cravings, trade your old habit, your methamphetamine habit, for chocolate milk. Like a Yoohoo or like chocolate milk? I actually like Oak Farms. It's, it's better. All right. There you go. All right. <laughs> it's cheaper. It's a dollar. <laughs> Uh, so I told myself, trade your methamphetamines habit for chocolate milk. And so I would wake up, and if I had a craving, I would get in my truck over there in Montgomery, and I'd drive down to Montgomery, and I'd grab a, one chocolate milk, and I'd drive home, and I'd drink it. And if I had another craving, I'd get back in my truck, and I'd drive back to the store. And, and it was much cheaper than methamphetamines, by the way. Yeah. But <laughs> I literally quit doing methamphetamines the first time by trading one habit for another and I found a healthy one chocolate mm -hmm. milk and there's a lot of times I drove to the store and got a lot of chocolate milk but it worked as simple as it was it worked and I quit methamphetamines for 10 years on my own no rehab no nothing just wow. said okay one day yeah. I'm done so as I come home this time from prison and I had made up my mind one of the first things I did was get on my social media and I tell everybody hey look this is the life that I'm living don't come at me sideways if you ever owe me money I don't want it I'm moving on. Only one person reached out to me and asked me if I wanted something. I said, hey, man, don't ever ask me that question again. <laughs> like, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And I'm like, yeah, you did. You know. Mm -hmm. So I learned to set those, those boundaries for myself and mm -hmm. say, these things are not okay. I cannot do them anymore. So I learned to delete that from my life. And I learned to trade my old habits for my new ones. So like I said, my five to six main outlets are reading, church, my family, uh, my friends, my wood shop, and the gym. And so I go to that tool bag every day. So just like the other day when I said on Facebook, somebody ridiculed me and they're like, oh, you spend a lot of time in the gym and you're doing this and you're doing that and you have all these dreams. And yeah, I do have a lot of dreams and, and I'm going to tackle those things. And, and the gym is where I get my strength. This is where I stay strong. I, I had this whole vision of you being in the gym and strengthening your body. And it's like I was thinking what you were thinking. I don't know if this is true or not. But as you're strengthening your body, you it's like you're strengthening your mind. You're strengthening your spirit. Yeah. And so every rep that you don't want to do, it's like there's a motivation behind it. It's not just a vanity thing. It's not just about size. It's like, no, I'm str literally strengthening my body in, in more ways than just the physical aspect. Yes. Does that ever run through your mind while you're there? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine actually just last night. And, and uh, so I keep my earbuds in at, at the gym and just as everybody else does. And most people are listening to, you know, some kind of hype music, uh, Pantera or Metallica or rap music to get them going. I'm listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer. <laughs> and I love it. It, it's a, it's a meditation for me. It's a, where I, you, you continue to move towards motivational things. Anything that you invite into your life, it's going to have an impact. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, so as I told my friend with the sex addiction, hey, man, pick your outlets. I don't care if it's wood whittling. I don't care if it's fishing. I don't care. Just make sure they're healthy. Mm-hmm. He's been clean for like a year and a half now. That's amazing. Uh, and he has a beautiful girlfriend, and, and life is good for him. 
and he beat it just by and and the one thing that I I, I recommend everybody read codependent no more. Uh, it's not about addiction. It's about learning to deal with the trauma that most of us don't realize that we experienced mm-hmm. as children. And that's why people are addicts. They're they're not addicts because they woke up one day and said, "Hey, I just want to, you know, get high and ruin my life." <laughs> that's not <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, it's in and the, but that's how it happens. You know, it's it's some kind of pain, it's some just as well as my mom. Like for two or three weeks, my mom was perfectly fine. It was a normal mom, great mom, great wife, great grandmother, everything. But then she had these issues uh, from her dad, uh, things that, that he did to her and all of her siblings that she, that haunted her, that she had to deal with. And that was her escape. Yeah. That was her outlet. And she never figured out how to say, you know, can I do something different? She dealt with it the best that she could, um, just as most people are, are doing the best that they can throughout life. Uh, but learning to deal with the trauma that you have experienced as a child is is you're you're going to turn to one thing or another because you want to escape that pain. And it could be work, sugar, shopping, hoarding. Um, uh, I mean, it could be ex- exercise. I mean, it, it exercise is a wonderful thing, but for some, it, if it's getting to a point where it's controlling your life, yes. um, anything that's going to be over the top cause some harm. So you never want to do Sex anything porn. too much and excessive mm-hmm. uh, use. Um, and so I never try to tell anybody what their addictions are. I never try to tell anybody, hey, do these things. No, pick your own outlet, just like I told my buddy. Hey, man, pick your own outlets, whatever it is. Uh, I noticed that he started taking his son to the gym first, Um, started getting his son in baseball, started spending more time with him. And it's a matter of buying your time throughout life. That's that's all it is. And and so what are you going to buy your time with? Are you going to continue to be, you know, an alcoholic? drug addict whatever which all lead to the same places you're either going to die there's no two ways about that you're going to end up in prison or you're going to choose to find rehab or just figure out your own rehab yeah um that's where addiction leads to everybody that nobody's excluded uh can you tell us about my brother's keeper absolutely so my brother's keeper is is something that uh my brother daniel and i um and Davis, uh, we didn't, but Daniel and I specifically have, we missed out on about 10 years of life, uh, because together, yeah, together, because I would either be in my addiction and he would be sober and I wouldn't invite him over because he's my brother. I didn't want to put that on him, uh, mm-hmm. or I would go to jail and he would be out. I'd get out, he would go to jail. And this, this cycle had happened, but something that, uh, it's overwhelming to to think about it. Uh, Daniel, he's always been there for me. Mm-hmm. So during the time of incarceration, every week I would get a letter from Daniel. I would get money put on my books once a month. Uh, he would do my time with me, and he would always help me, no matter how much he was struggling. <clears throat> 
I got the opportunity to return that uh, favor uh, when he was incarcerated his last time on, over a crime that he didn't commit. Uh, and it almost cost him his life. Uh, it, it was very scary for all of us. Uh, obviously, we've lost Davis this last year. and um, So we thought that Daniel might get life in prison. Uh, and we did a whole lot of praying. Uh, some things were introduced to his life. Some people literally walked into his life inside of a jail that literally was God's hand. And so I got the opportunity to return the favor. I made sure that my phone was on at all times. Uh, he could call me every day. Uh, I made sure that every time I got paid, I put money on his books. Before Davis died, uh, he went and bought this dirt bike. And uh, Davis, you know, loved motocross. Uh, he loved BMX. Mm -hmm. And it was what he lived for. And Davis had this addiction uh, of methamphetamines. And and everybody that knows Davis knows Davis for the great person that he, that he is. And when I came home this last time, uh, he had bought this dirt bike. And, and it was a really cool dirt bike, but it was super ugly. <laughs> and something broke on it and we took it over to a friend of mine's a friend of ours a family friend uh to have it uh just fixed and i knew what i was going to do when we dropped it off but davis didn't know uh so we dropped the dirt bike off and and um we leave and we're supposed to be just fixing like some ring seals on it or something and uh i call her buddy and i said hey man i want to redo that bike for my brother i want to remind him who he is and Kyle Bennett, his best friend that had passed away, we decided to uh, do a Kyle Bennett tribute bike to remind Davis who he is, who mm -hmm. he rode with. Uh, Kyle Bennett was a, a world champion uh, BMX rider, rode in the Olympics. <clears throat> and Davis rode right next to him. They were best friends. They grew up. His, mm -hmm. his talent was beyond his own understanding. Uh, it was the same thing on a dirt bike. And so... For about two or three months, we're telling Davis that we can't get the parts. We can't do this. Mind you, uh, our friend Michael Peart, is, uh, he's buying parts, and I'm sending the money, and we're rebuilding this bike. And, and so I got the opportunity that we're going to put together the number plate. And we got permission from Kyle's mom to pull the, the number plate off of uh, the number plate that's in the Olympic uh, Museum right now, this Kyle's uh, number plate. And we changed it up just a little bit. And I, the MBK, my brother's keeper, was something that me and Daniel would always say to each other, I am my brother's keeper. I'm here for you. We're doing this time together. And so on the bottom of the number plate, uh, I changed some of the letters to MBK. And so I got to deliver that bike to Davis uh, 2020 of, of Christmas Eve. And, and he was just literally blown away that, that I took the time to do that. Not only did he... He thought we were just, you know, replacing some rings and a couple of tires and stuff like that. And I, I, I built him a pretty much a factory bike. Wow. And whenever I gave it to him, uh, we left and he was like, man, why'd you do that? And I said, well, I wanted to remind you who you are. You're a champion. You have the talent. You have the desire. You have everything that you need you have a dirt bike now that's not a piece of junk and you can go to, you can go to track and you can ride it and you can get sober and he rode it one time and um and it it messed up just a little bit and he parked it and 
he went and got another one and wrote it a few times, but Davis couldn't quit his addiction and it cost him his life. And so I still have that bike. Well, that, that MBK uh, of being my brother's keeper, uh, it's my way of <clears throat> giving back. Um, so while I was in prison, one of the steps that the Lord took in my life uh, when I was in prison and I started to ask for forgiveness, I'd never repented for something so hard in my life when I realized that I was a drug dealer and I was a successful one. And so as a successful drug dealer, you affect a lot of lives, a whole yeah. lot. Mm. And my community uh, itself, Montgomery County, uh, some of North Harris County, and uh, I realized the effect that I had on, on people's life for a bad cause. And I asked my Heavenly Father for forgiveness. And I remember in that prayer, something told me to ask him for the opportunity to give back, to help some of those lives when I come home. And he's answered that prayer abundantly. Uh, so my brother's keeper is, is not me. It is we. Uh, it is also my sister's keeper. My sister sent me a book. She saved my life. Uh, my brother Daniel uh, it's a community that has kind of taken off uh, here in just Montgomery County, but we want it to go uh, as far as nationwide and worldwide as we can, because the real, the real war is drugs. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. There we have all these wars going on on oil and such, and the real war on our turf is drugs. There is no two ways about that. And so the community that we are building with MBK, my brother's keeper, it's a badge of honor. I'm sure that maybe you have somebody in your family that struggles with some kind of addiction. Uh, we all do. Uh, and so by purchasing one of these t-shirts or hats, it's uh, you're sponsoring someone. You're saying, hey, I support someone that's struggling. I support someone that I love that and it's giving us an opportunity to fight this war. Uh, it's going to give us an opportunity to do as exactly uh, as Malcolm did in the mentor, the kid, and the CEO. I don't think I'll ever be a, a, an author of a book, but I can buy them. And I can take them back to the prisons. I can take them back to the jails. Uh, and I can give back. I can be a, a light in this community of, hey, this is something that we go through together. You're not alone because just like I was talking about earlier, whenever you get into your addiction, you're recluse. You, you, mm -hmm. you take yourself away from, and you, you don't, you'll never feel more alone ever in your life than whenever you're in your darkest moments of your addiction or sitting in prison. Whenever you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm alone. And you really are. And in a lot of ways, God wants you to get that to that point to where you know that it's just you and him. Mm -hmm. But then he'll send you a book <laughs> to help yeah. you read, to help you understand uh, that you're not alone, that you can find the tools that you need. <clears throat> and there's people, everybody, there's not a person on this planet that I can think of that hasn't dealt with addiction in some way, shape, form, or fashion, such as my sister. Never had an addiction. She's dealt with it her entire life. And she saved my life by sending me one book. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do, or what we are doing, is we're building a community of my brother's keeper. 
Uh, we will also turn that into my sister's keeper, my daughter's keeper. I have a very dear friend of mine that uh, her daughter is, is struggling struggling with anorexia. I was talking to her the other day, and she was like, yeah, I use a lot of the stuff that you tell me to help my daughter. And as she said it, I was like, wow, I didn't even think of anorexia being an addiction. It is. It's- when I was thinking of the exercise addiction, that's what was going through my head, by the way. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. And so it's it's a way to get active in our community. It's mm-hmm. a way to let people know that you're not alone, that we can help you with the education of addiction recovery. Yeah, because there's a lot of shame behind it. People who are into an addiction, it's um, there's I imagine that there's a lot of shame behind it and shame and guilt just from the people that I know. Um, and I, I do hope that they know that there is a community that stands behind them. That they're not, they're not being looked down upon because, like you said, everybody has something. Yes. Absolutely. Everybody has something. Um, so I used to think the same thing. Um, I used to think to myself, like, I'm never going to be anything more than a drug dealer. Uh, like, I, I didn't, it wasn't in my thought that I could do anything uh, above that. Today, as you, as you said that, you know, the community that surrounds me, uh, it's my community. It's all the people that arrested me. Mm-hmm. It's the judges that sentenced me to prison. Mm-hmm. It's the district attorneys. It's I have the phone numbers of the chief of police, uh, the sheriff, uh, all the district attorneys. These judges follow me on my Facebook. They applaud me. They tell me how proud they are of me. Uh, <clears throat> so this is the community that actually these are great people. Like I, the guy that arrested me, the guy saved my life. Literally, he, he was just a small, he was just doing his job. He yeah. just took somebody to jail that night. He saved my life. I'd still be a drug dealer. I'd still, who knows where I'd be if I'd yeah. be alive. As we grow this community, I, I hope that it takes off like wildfire. I hope that the, the battle that we're fighting, it can be won. I, I know that it can be won. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we all have to stand up together and, and and let people know that they don't have to be ashamed. That Man, I was a drug dealer. There's not a situation on planet Earth that I haven't been in that most people don't even want to think about. Yeah. And as I talk to people, I remind them of that. They'll, they'll start to share their story. They do that. They're like, oh, I feel so embarrassed. And I have to remind them, hey, man, <laughs> like I've been there. I've done yeah. that. I've walked that road. I've mm-hmm. been to prison three times. I've been to jail more times than, than I can count. And it's okay. And, and these people that are in the justice system, they're doing their job. Like, if you're doing your part, they're going to help you. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not, they will gladly put you in jail because yep. you don't want it. But as soon as you want it, we want to educate. We want to help people understand that it's not, it's not out of reach for you. It's it's very much in reach, and we want to educate them, and we want to buy books and and take them back into the prisons and be a part of of uh, bringing life back to our world. I love yeah, it. I think that's wonderful. Do. do you have a website? <clears throat> I do not. I, I'm very close to to launching that. I've had a very dear friend of mine helping me build it. Okay. Uh, I'm not too computer savvy. She is. Uh, she do you, well, is. do you have your domain yet? I do. I have okay. all the domain. The website is built. Uh, I think we have about 16 different uh, shirts and patterns and hats. And and uh, she's very um, 
Okay, computer so, savvy. So coming so, soon, people. Yeah. Yes. How, how how do how do Amy and I um, be a part of this, and and how can so, the listeners that, that are listening be a part of it? Obviously, my social media uh, is is one of the biggest tools that I have. I, it's okay. what I call um, living sober out loud. That's what I do. I I try to do something uh, motivational and just something inspiring as as much as I can, as 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 often as I can. So follow me on my social media, Ben Blankenship. Uh, I have Instagram. I have Facebook. As we'll soon as connect all those in this episode notes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so once we uh, have all the final touches done on the website, we will be launching this, and we have a very unique uh, strategy of how we're going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna do a pre-launch uh, where everybody can order their their hats and t-shirts and, and bracelets. And like I said, this is a badge of honor that you're supporting somebody in your community that's struggling with this. Uh, so all my friends that are on the other side of the law, the judges and district attorneys that, you know, put me in prison, uh, they're like, tell me when we're buying a t-shirt. Yeah. So we're going to do Yes, I love that. So I everybody, love. you are getting a sneak peek. We're it's yes. a little premature for launch just yes. yet, but you're getting a sneak peek of what's to come. Yes, That's and exciting. so the first delivery we're actually going to do uh, downtown Conroe in front of the courthouse. Okay, uh, this is where my story uh, took its turn. Uh, all the people that uh, support me, all the district attorneys, and and the people that I've mentioned uh, will be there to support me, and we'll invite the news down there. Uh, to let people know that this is this is what we're doing. This is a movement. This is something that it's a community that we are going to be a part of, and we're going to be successful. Awesome! It's so, amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. I am so moved and inspired, and I've it's just been an honor to be your friend. And uh, for so we, I met you probably when I was about fifteen years old, yeah, yeah. and you're a little bit younger. Yeah. Uh, how old are you right now? I'm 41. Okay. Okay. So you're only a year younger. Yeah. I was going to say, you're 40 something too. 42. <laughs> okay. So you were one year younger. But yeah, yeah I mean, we, we would go out to parties at your house and, yeah. with, and all four brothers were yeah. there. Yeah. And now it's down to two brothers. Yeah. And um, uh, I've never got to meet, meet your sister. But I just remember everybody was, your family was all just so genuine and nice. I remember. No, no, besides, you know, drugs or alcohol, <laughs> might have been at the may or may not have been at the parties. Um, <laughs> you guys were all so nice, and and Davis was so sweet. Yes, he was. He was always so nice, and he was really nice to me. Yes. Anyway, so um, I just I've loved seeing your story, and I I love what, listening and reading your blog. I mean, it's basically like a blog. You share a lot, and yes. it's inspiring. So thank, thank you. you. Thank having, you for having out. never met you, and this be the first time, it's it's humbling to hear your story. And just, I mean, I see your compassion. I see what you've gone through, but I also see where you're going. And it's it's I get chills thinking about it mm-hmm. because, like we talked about before, I've I've had friends. We all have friends that struggle with addictions, and they all find their different outlets. To know that this is something that people can go to now to get help, and I love the name and I love the the, the history behind it. It's it's going to empower and help so many people. So yes. I'm, I'm excited for you. And I see a Thank book you. coming, just saying. Yes. I, I, I see I, a book I've coming. Been, I've been pushed in that direction a few <laughs> times. So thank you guys so much for having thank me. You. It's been an absolute honor. And I look forward to things we do in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Take care. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.